Hello, this is Maurice Harker. What you're about to listen to is a clip from my Spiritual Psychology Masterclass. This is an online webinar classroom where you learn to harvest vital, life-changing psychological concepts from the words of the prophets. Enjoy what you listen to, and I'll check in with you again when you're done. Now, let's move into 1 Nephi chapter 5. We're going to be talking about two people, and I encourage all of you to become both of them. So we're going to walk through the one person's experience, and then we're going to walk through the other. Let's start with being the person with the great ideas guy. Let's all be Lehi. There I am, minding my own business, just puttering along, thinking about people and things and needs. And all of a sudden, I get this crazy idea, crazy idea. All right. Now, how many crazy ideas does Lehi have within the first five chapters? He has even more to come, but he's already started with, hey, let's abandon our household and our neighborhood and go out into the wilderness to an unknown location. Right, crazy idea number two or number one. Crazy idea number two, let's send the boys back to have a chit chat with Laban and get the brass plates for him. Then we have the next crazy idea that we're going to be talking about soon. Hey, boys, why don't you head on back there and talk that one guy into bringing all of his daughters into the forest and we can randomly choose them as wives for the next thousand years. You know, you put these in modern language and they are such ridiculous stories. All right. First thing, what work do you need to do to become the person with the crazy ideas? And what do you do when someone is skeptical? All right. So let's read in what he does or what happens when he experiences someone who isn't quite completely bought in. Now, I want to express some frustration with the way that Soraya is portrayed sometimes because I think she gets a bad rap because I think that woman did some very courageous things. Soraya has um, complained against my father telling him he was a visionary man. Behold, thou hast led us forth. We're going to come back to talk about her experience, but really she's already been very faithful. She's already been very courageous. She's already done so many things. Can we not like get on her case for having a moment of fear? We're going to come back to that. First of all, let's observe what Lehi did. He says, uh, this is, of course, this is scary. This is hard. I know that the Lord will deliver my sons out of the hands of Laban and bring them down again unto us in the wilderness. So one of the most important things you can do if you're receiving crazy revelations, make sure you are locked in on them. Don't waver. That's going to scare people even more if you go, well, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I mean, if Lehi would have said to his wife, I'm not really sure that that was a revelation. I'm not really sure that I was commanded of God to send the boys back. Can you imagine how scary that would have been for Sariah if he reneged on his revelation? And then instead of getting frustrated, I, I, I walked through this story with, with a lot of the couples I work with in my head. And verse six, and after this matter of language did my father Lehi comfort my mother with compassion and with empathy. And so if you're going to get revelations, you've got to be confident that it's a revelation so you don't waver on it. And number two, you can't get impatient with other people who are slow to catch on or, or get scared or get frustrated. All right. You can't like get all upset with them. You know, there's very prideful ways. I got a revelation and you should just follow. Why are you giving me such a hard time? Okay. That's not someone who's actually getting revelation. 
if you announce something, and, and my office has seen this happen more than once with me, where I go, here's the change we're going to make. I hope I've been very clear about that. I've got two different types of proposals. I have the one where I'm saying I could use some consultation on this. Let's think about this. Let's, here's an idea. Let's chew on it together. And sometimes I just announce things. I just go, and here's what we're going to do. Usually somewhere between 50% and two thirds of the staff go, what? Like, <laughs> you, wait, wait, what? How, why? What? Like, we can't do that. And I'm like, it's going to be okay. It'll be all right. Because I have had a vision on how it's going to work. We just need to keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. So if you're going to be someone who gets revelations, you must plan on people being shocked by them. You must plan on them being complaining about them. Some are going to go so far as to murmur, and you're going to have to be solid and compassion comforting. Now let's talk about being the other person in the story. I'm going to let you look at it in your own verse, in your own scriptures, I, so I don't have to do this. I have a question go. for you, Maurice. Go, Cody, so, go. With those different maturity levels, like of Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and the, the people that we you know deal with in our lives, like how do we navigate those, especially when when they may not get the accurate view of who God is and who who's revealing that that information to the leader, how do how do we better validate those in those in those moments? Thank you for that. And the lovely thing is the answer is right there in the first few chapters of Nephi. So look at what Lehi did and look at the results of it. See, we Westerners we keep looking for things that are will create a guaranteed positive outcome. It is a very glorious vision and hope for us. But, and so we hope, what, what can I do better than Lehi so I could get Laman and Lemuel to not be Laman and Lemuel? Wouldn't that have been cool if Lehi had been had better social skills and better communication skills and maybe held family home evening one more time? Or we can always say it was Soraya's fault because she complained once in 20 years. Therefore, the reason Laman and Lemuel went off the deep end is because their mother was not able to maintain her courage and faithfulness eternally forever so now we can just blame it on Soraya that the entire Lamanite nation was existed and lots of people died because of her all right we all know that that is not true can we agree that that is not true so what did Lehi do if we reviewed in detail he tried that thing where he did the identity anchoring activity where he says Laman I wish you could be like this river and Laban uh, I wish you or Lemuel I wish you could be like this river or one of them's the mountain one of them's the river he called their children together and taught them at the beginning of Second Nephi. He made plenty of efforts, but in the end, he separated his family from them. I believe that was actually after Lehi died, where Nephi separated the family. So were they successful in their attempts to communicate with murmurers? But Sariah was prepared to only have a short-term complaint. All right. And she was able to respond to Lehi's compassion and encouragement. So in the end, we don't get to pick how the other person responds to our attempts to resolve their concerns. One more thing on that, please. Cause we, cause we know that the adversaries are really good spiritual aversion therapists, right? He's really good at, <laughs> man, he's so good at, at creating or using the gifts of, like of Lehi, who's who had the gift of receiving revelation, gift of miracles. And, but you got the layman and Lemuel that didn't really know how to really nurture those gifts. Or, and I, I think, it, is it more of just like an understanding of that, Maurice? It's just like, dude, these, these guys just don't get that Satan is a good aversion therapist. He's a good, he, he professes to be the God of this world. And therefore, that's just where they're at. 
is that what we just have to, we just have to realize that, that that's what we need to expect from murmuring or uh, that type of attitude? There appears to be um, uh, in relation to the DPAR um, is uh, the advanced version of the grief cycle where we do have to go through a phase of resignation of what we're dealing with, what's in front of us, how things truly are. But as we reflect on that, uh, ideally, you would swing back up into a discovery phase or a hope or a call it a denial of reality, otherwise known as hope. What if we could make a change? I mean, this is Jacob chapter five to a T. What if we tried this? What if we tried that? What if we try this? What if we try that? And so when do you stop trying? This is kind of the, the conversation that's put on the table by Ryan. When do you stop trying to sustain your psychological fortitude? When God says, well done, my good and faithful servant, you can stop trying on that now, which is a huge thing that we deal with with marriage therapy. Like, how do you know when to stop trying? That is a horrifically painful conversation or, or thing to try to figure out. Let's talk about Sariah for a second. You know how the Book of Mormon has been shared with us as the ultimate demonstration of the pride cycle. And ladies, I want to express a frustration that you might share with me of how few stories there are and concepts that are written specifically for women. Okay. Yes, many of the stories are uh, generalizable and very applicable, but um, there's often a dearth of uh, stuff that's specifically written for women. Because as I've been studying it, Similar to the pride cycle, there's also a fear cycle. Similar to the pride cycle, there's also a fear cycle. You see, as I've been studying men and their psychology, there appears to be two primary psychological foundational elements for their brains, confidence and competence. In order for us to thrive and fulfill our preside, provide, protect stewardships, we must feel confident. Unfortunately, confidence taken three millimeters too far becomes pride. Confidence taken too far becomes pride. Let's flip the coin and look at female psychology for a second. Now, granted, this is anyone who wants to get picky about it. Yes, all men have some feminine and all women have some masculine. So let's not have that argument today. To be a good nurturer, to fulfill the stewardship to nurture as a woman requires significant conscientiousness. She must be alert. She must be observant. She must be aware. All right. She must be conscientious. Now, what do you get when conscientiousness goes too far? What do you get, ladies? What happens to your brain that might be similar to Soraya if your concern goes too high? I think we call it fear. It's called I'm scared. I'm panicking. I'm worried. I'm concerned at a a almost immobilizing level. Observe how that was used in the story with Soraya. She was faithful. She was confident. She was concerned. She's faithful, confident, concerned, or invested, conscientious, and then it goes too far. As I was studying masculine psychology for years, it was my wife who came to me one day and she says, oh my goodness, take a look. And I'm all, what? She goes, have you ever looked at the most common thing that ministering angels say to women when the conversation gets started? What is the first thing the angel said to Mary when she came to the tomb? She said, be not afraid. Be not afraid. afraid. Fear Fear not. Isn't that interesting 
that that is the most common thing said to women in moments of difficulty and challenge, fear not, because fear is the most crippling thing that women experience, while pride is the most crippling thing that men experience. But if you study them carefully, they go around and around in a circle, all right? So I wanted you to relate to Soraya. Now, let's put our feet in her shoes. There you are, minding your own business. Instead of you being the one that gets a funky revelation, some other person runs up to you and says, I have just had a funky revelation. You're all, that's nice. Are you going to uh, change the flowers you put in the flower garden this year? And the person says, no, I have an even more exciting revelation than that. And what would that be? I'd like to send your children to a location where they're highly likely to be murdered. I think that's a great idea. We should send your children into a place where other people want to kill them. I feel inspired. Let's go even further. Let's jump ahead a few chapters and books. And this crazy guy, you're out there gardening or doing whatever you do. And this guy comes up to you and says, I got an idea. All right. What's your idea? I'm going to build a boat. Are you now? Yes. And I want you to put yourself and your children in that boat. Do you now? And to, to make things even better, I've decided not to put a guidance system on that boat. No guidance system on this boat. And uh, it's going to be totally enclosed. And we're going to put some holes in it on purpose so that sometimes we can let some water and some air in it occasionally. Haven't quite figured out the bathroom issue and how we're going to work with that. Okay. But I thought what would really be fun is we could put some bees inside those boats with your children. And I feel inspired for you to do that. Remember those jokes we used to tell about the guy who goes up to the girl at BYU and says, I feel inspired that you should be my wife. Okay. <laughs> She's a, we you just shoot him, just shoot him on the spot. We'll just bury him somewhere later. Just, there's no point. In, you don't even listen to crazy people like that, but we're talking about preparation for some crazy ideas here. And we just walk right through these stories of the first Nephi as if, yeah, that happens every day. Like people always walk up to me with crazy revelations and we just go with it. All right. How many times did you read the Nephi story to your children as if it was just a Cinderella story? Like, and Nephi chops off his head and they lived happily ever after. How come we don't look at That's crazy. You know, the first time I read that from an investigator's point of view in Detroit, and I'm going, you know what? That's kind of a crazy story. <laughs> and it's like, what, chapter three, chapter four, and we're telling people this is an inspired document. They're like, uh, no, thank you. I don't want to hear anything else you have to say. Why not? We're not crazy. And we follow 16-year-olds who see gold plates and, and God and stuff like that. It's, see, we're good. <laughs> it's all fine and dandy. We are kind of crazy. We all believe in some pretty crazy things. And so it's really important that we're really clear on what it is that we're believing. All right. Now let's push this one level deeper in psychological application. All right. I want you to observe times, maybe a little bit in the past, but if I do my job right, I'm going to push you into more of this in the future, that you're going to find yourself being both people in the story at the same time. Let me explain how that works. For a long time now, if you are associated with life-changing services um, efforts to teach, we've been introducing you to the voice of Satan and how to get familiar with it and how to know when he's doing his thing and how he's messing around in your head. 
One of the biggest surprises that some of our clients experience is when you get really good at killing Satan fast, crushing his head and getting out of your head, it leaves a bit of a vacancy. Like I used to wrestle with him for hours every day. And now there's this echo in my brain where nothing's happening. Like what? Hello, hello, hello. Some of the guys are all, well, I'm lonely. So I'm going to invite Satan back because at least we have something to talk about. <laughs> you're like, um, maybe something different than that. If you get good at this, you're going to have another voice in your head frequently, which is this Lehigh type voice. Okay. Imagine someone walk around in your head that's talking about miracles on a regular basis. All right. I got an idea. I got an idea. You're like, uh, stop with the ideas. No, no, really. I think this one is going to work. I got an idea. I was just sitting there. I was reading. I had a vision. It came to me. It was amazing. And you're like, oh my gosh, like that's three in five chapters that you've had of these visions and ideas that you keep having. Now, my prophecy is that you're going to have to get familiar with the voice of Sariah, meaning, first of all, I was just sitting there minding my own business, trying to have a normal life, making breakfast for the kids, just kind of moving things forward. And then he comes with another idea. Oh my gosh, shut up. No more ideas. I can't do this anymore. All right. But somehow they create this harmonized relationship. Lehi and Soraya, she becomes adequately supportive and adequately faithful. Because what we see in verse eight is quite interesting. We've seen her being faithful, but then she makes a statement which tells us that something was different before she says this. Now she says, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. So if she's saying now that she knows of a surety, what does that mean she was thinking before? That means she wasn't so sure that Lehi was on the right track. Some unknown percentage of lack of confidence. Okay, it had to have probably been been higher than 50% because she actually followed him into the wilderness, but she had some lack of confidence. So if you and I are going to be Sarayas in a story, that doesn't mean we're complainers. It might mean we only have 75% confidence in the idea. It might mean we only have 62% confidence in the idea. This is, takes us back to President Nelson's talk, believing. He doesn't say, you know, he says, you believe. Is it possible if Soraya was asking for a confirmation and that's how this happened, she might have been praying to get her own? You know, if I was a mother, that's what I would be doing. Right, moms, if you're on a journey and it's you, my husband has a reputation of having some good ideas. My husband has a reputation of getting decent revelations. This one seems sketchy. This one seems scary. This one seems hard. So I would not doubt at all that she was asking, just like President Nielsen recommended, that she uh, wanted more of a surety. Um, yes, I also know of a surety that the Lord protected my sons, delivered them out of the hands of Laban, and has given them the power work why they could accomplish these things. Again, there's lots of examples of second witnesses. You know, it's interesting because this obviously is not the first time we see just in the first five chapters of the Book of Mormon of someone, I think of the faith scene, something's planted in their heart. Someone gives them some crazy thought or idea but they have to nourish that and they have to continue to water in the sunlight. And Nephi had that experience where it was like, bing, oh, I now know for surety. Same thing with Soraya. And it's like, when you finally see 
something sprouting up out of the ground. I think it's just a beautiful analogy that you have to continue to feed that thought, even if it's at 25%, 50%, if you continue to feed it at some point, the Lord will help you know for a surety, whatever that idea or thought was to, to make you know that that's for sure. I want to share with you one of the most enjoyable experiences as a therapist. Um, I hope to create similar situations as a father, but I have more opportunity as a therapist to carry this uh, analogy, this, um, this parable of how this whole process works into the therapeutic process. So intentionally, for those of you who are therapists and life coaches out there and want to play that kind of role with someone, I start my relationship with someone um, with a little bit of soil prep. I will get to know them and what they're doing, what their goals are, but I do some rotor tilling. I do some, I chop up some soil a little bit. If they let me, if they let me, I'm, I first, I confirm, is this really what you want to do? And they say, yes. I go, okay, don't mind me. I'm just going to start up this rotor tiller and run it through your brain a little bit. And they're like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And I start breaking up paradigms in their head and I start cracking things and like, have you thought of this way? Have you thought of that way? And they're like, whoa, where, what are you doing? But then we plant the seed of an idea and you just let it sit. I've seen therapists who get really aggravated and not going to mention any people, but I've seen parents who plant an idea in their child's head and says, and we're going to sit here until you agree with me. I'm going to plant this idea and we're going to sit here until you understand that they don't say until you agree with me. They say, we're going to sit here until you uh, apologize correctly, until you admit you did something wrong, until you confess, until blah, 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 blah. If you truly want an inspired idea to grow to fruition, you can't plant it and harvest it on the same day. You plant a thought and you let it go. You let it, you just let it go. You attempt to nurture it. But really, if an idea, um, as was shared just now, um, that you have to let them be the one who does most of the nurturing. You have to let them. And often we are sad when they come back a week later and they haven't done anything with it. And they go, I don't even know if your idea works. It's like, well, did you pour any water on it? Nah. Did you like nurture it all? Nah. Like, okay. But to watch an idea come to fruition over time, to plant it and just patiently let it grow, patiently let it grow. Maybe you say, dope, you see that little sprout over there? See that little sprout? I don't know if you guys have noticed that I'm doing this nurturing technique on the D par with all y'all. Have you noticed I keep bringing it up? Have you noticed I keep mentioning it? Have you noticed I keep massaging it? I taught elders quorum uh, on Sunday and halfway through the lesson, I go, I'm now about to show you something new and different. They're sitting on the edge of their seats and I showed another D par and they're like, not again. There he goes again with that ridiculous D par thing. All right. I have a off the charts testimony of this ridiculous little forward piece of paper. And I promise you, I am going to continue being annoying and I'm going to keep mentioning it. I'm going to keep training you on it because if President Nielsen thinks it's a good idea, it's probably a good idea. Okay, just saying. The best psychology in the world is found in the gospel doctrine. You will not find anything better in the textbooks. You will not find anything better in the handbooks or the psychology today magazines, etc. So please notice what we're doing as we study this stuff. 
Hello, Maurice Harker here again. You've just finished listening to a clip from the Spiritual Psychology Masterclass, where you learn to harvest vital, life-changing psychological concepts from the words of the prophets. Please continue listening to the other podcast episodes where you will have access to many, many more principles. But when you're ready for a big, thick chunk of this educational material, please uh, follow the link that's attached to the text connected to this podcast and you will be given instructions on how to register for the class where you can spend an hour each week sitting with me and learning how to harvest psychology from the words of the prophets. I look forward to seeing you then.